Welcome to Audiobook Test Drive. In today's episode, we are featuring an excerpt from Bugged, written by Don Glutt. An unforgettable science horror classic by the author of Star Wars, The Empire Strikes Back. Bugged begins at a college reunion in a moldering mansion in the midst of an isolated swamp. Howard Barks, accompanied by his daughter Karen, is looking forward to seeing his old college chums when his car stops dead. After he gets out to see what the trouble is, hundreds of insects swarm over him and strip the flesh from his bones. Ronald Reed, owner of the mansion, begins to grow concerned for the banks when hours pass and they fail to arrive, so he sends his butler to look for them. The butler soon discovers their car and Howard's skeleton beside the road with the terrified Karen locked inside the vehicle. Thinking what has happened is a freak occurrence, the rest of the alums don't realize that the horrors are just beginning until other members are attacked by swarms of insects and eaten alive. And now for your listening pleasure, an excerpt from Bugged. Chapter 1 Cincidella waited. For what he waited, Cincidella did not know. Still, the knowledge would come to him as it had before, and this time the thing for which he waited would be different. The world was dark that night. Shadows crawled and spread about the looming foliage. The world was peaceful, especially so, as if some ethereal serenity had settled with the twisting evening mists. The only light beamed from the full moon glowing ivory from the black sea that roofed the world. The luminous globe bathed Cincidilla in its light, accentuating the yellow squiggles that interrupted the monotony of his dark green body. Cincidilla raised his head. He looked up at the moon and was awed by the splendor and majesty of its fullness. He moved slowly on six hairy legs. As he had done so often in the past, Cincidella moved his filament-like antennae as if to reach the circular deity. But then he knew that this was not the time for such seemingly impossible attempts at unattainable goals. Now was the time of that inexplicable craving, the craving that was so contrary to the way. This was the night of the call. The call had come from some unseen and unknown god or demon. But the origin of the call did not matter in this world of warmth and wetness and darkness. That the call existed sufficed, and with the call came the craving. Cincidella experienced the hunger. The hunger gnawed at him as though he were the consumed rather than the consumer. And though the hunger revolted him, he knew it must be satisfied. The moment for when Cincidella waited had not yet arrived but he knew that the moment of satisfaction could not be delayed much longer. This pleased Cincidella, for the hunger was gradually becoming torturous. He loathed the call for imposing that craving, but also appreciated its providing the means for satisfaction. Cincidella's antennae vibrated. His head turned toward the jungle-like floor that somehow lessened the moon's brilliance. Jerkily, the antennae wiggled, signaling. The shadows lived. They crept through the thick growth of vegetation as the brethren slowly came into the clearing. 
Now, their bodies, too, receive the cool spray of moonlight. The colorful designs of their greenish backs, yellow, gold, glowed in the moonlight. But their radiance was not as brilliant as Cincidella's. Cincidella was the leader to the brethren. Following the way, they responded to his summons. They could readily detect his drifting signal with its implicit message. This night, however, their response was not merely to his signal, but more to that greater force which had lured them from their dark haunts. The Call Cincidella stood motionless as the brethren approached. They numbered in the thousands. Slowly they surrounded him in a dense circle of pulsating life. They were waiting. And though they were now creatures of the call, they awaited some command from their leader, some signal which would inform them as to why they hungered. The leader walked toward the inner rim of the living circle where it parted, creating a pathway through which Cincidella passed with regal poise. When he had completely passed out of the circle, the brethren regrouped. His minions then followed in disorganized formation, moving as though weightless across the dampness of the earth. They halted at the edge of the world. Cincidella extended his right foreleg. He touched the vast, smooth expanse of whiteness that stretched in two directions and was swallowed by the distant blackness. Wisps of nighttime fog became diaphanous clouds that settled upon the smooth ribbon that bordered the world. The moon cast bluish halos upon that white strip, and elsewhere there was only darkness. The leader knew that waiting was nearly at an end. His head swiveled, eyes looking down the ribbon to where he knew there was no world. And then Cincidella saw eyes, two gleaming eyes faint in the distant blackness. The eyes of some terrible dragon, the type which Cincidella and the brethren had often perceived thundering along the edge of the world. The call would soon provide for them. But first, there were others, not of the brethren, but similar in nature and purpose, to respond to this great demon-eyed monster. Splat! Howard Barks had been watching the images that flew behind him as his brand-new Ford Fairlane maintained 25-mile-per-hour speed along the poorly paved road. The images had a strange, unearthly beauty, the way they shimmered in the light of the full moon. The bog was magnificent in its raw and unspoiled splendor. But now, Barks' eyes naturally focused on the white-brown smear that streaked the windshield of his automobile on this Friday night. Damn! exclaimed Howard Barks, grinding his teeth. Damn those bucks! The young woman seated beside him smiled. Temper, temper, Dad, she said. Her golden blonde hair streamed with the warm air blowing through the open window at her right. The rush of air filled the car with the odors of the bog, smells of lush vegetation and unseen animal life. Oh, it always happens this way, doesn't it, Karen? Howard Barks continued. There was a scowl on his face which caused his neatly trimmed gray mustache to curl upwards on the left side. His smooth fingers, callous free from two decades of executive work with the manufacture of photographic equipment, gripped the felt-covered steering wheel. You get the car washed in the afternoon on the way home from work, and before you can even get where you're going, what happens? Either rain, or bird turd, or some goddamn bug always messes up your windshield. It's always the same. 
Karen, with large chestnut eyes, looked over at her father. I dislike insects as much as you do, she said. But if you'll stop complaining, I promise to get out the Windex and a fresh new jar of elbow grease soon as we get back home. Deal? Well, come on now. Don't bother with one silly buck. Get your mind back on the reunion. The frown on Barks's face metamorphosed into a smile. His thoughts were gradually pulling away from his insect-marred windshield and returning to the reason for his driving through this desolate area. Suddenly, he felt a glow of nostalgia. You know, he said, I really feel kind of strange about going to this reunion. In a way, I feel as young as when I was back in college. You and your fraternity brothers were really close then, weren't you? She asked. Oh, thick as thieves, as we used to say in those days. Our frat was made up of the school elite. Hmm. I wonder what the rest of the fellows will be like. After all, it's been 25 years. Probably a little fatter. And a little less hair. Just like you, Dad. You're probably right. You know, I'm actually excited. I wonder if we'll still have anything in common after so many years. You know, I'll never forget the thrill of opening that envelope and finding the invitation inside. Karen looked out the open window. She let the wind rush against her pretty face. Her hair flew about wildly. The moon seemed to run alongside the car as it continued at modest speed along the road. Cold light spilled from the open spaces in that lush, shadow-cross flora, creating moonbursts that imparted beauty to the otherwise dismal swampland. A ribbon of rippling silver broke the dark surface of the river. The slow-moving water was visible through the white spruce and cedar trees that grew profusely in the bog. The girl shrugged her shoulders. But why out here? She inquired with the sound of perplexity in her melodious voice. Of all places for a reunion, why did your frat pick Desolation Row? Barks considered her question for a few moments before answering. Probably because Ronald Reed thought up the idea for a silver anniversary reunion, he said. Ronald Reed? I remember you mentioning some members of the old frat before, but never anyone named Reed. Reed, or... Dr. Reed, as he's known now, was never the most popular member of our group. I guess we were all oddballs back then, but Reed, he took the cake. I suppose that's why he eventually bought a house out here in the swamp, after he quit school. If I'd known we'd be going this far out in the sticks, I'd probably have stayed home. Besides, I still don't think I fit in tonight. You and your friends want to talk about old times and old girlfriends and won't want some dumb 21-year-old sitting around like an extra piece of furniture. Oh, nonsense, said Barks. You're an intelligent girl, Karen, and will probably make some excellent contributions to the conversation, in case we run out of old times or old girlfriends to talk about. Anyway, you had nothing to do tonight, and I hated to see you bored again. Looking at his daughter, he saw her smile begin to fade. Before this, the bog had been strangely silent. But now the swamp was coming alive with unidentifiable noises. There were sounds that might have been the chirps or shrieks of some hungry night bird, or something else. Barks frowned, his shoulders wriggled beneath his tweed suit. The noises of the swamp, of the night, were making him feel uneasy. Probably more of those damned insects, he grumbled. Listen to them chatter. You'd think they were having a bug convention or something out there. The steady commotion emanating from the moonlit bog seemed to compete with the purring sound of the car, but eventually there was no more contest. The noises made by the insects reigned supreme. 
They sound like they're out there waiting for us, don't they? said Barks. Oh, Dad. Well, I'm sorry. Guess I'm still mad about that windshield. Ah, let them chirp all they want, just as long as they don't mess up my car anymore. Splat. What the hell? Another one. Splat. 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 Howard Barks gasped. He looked straight ahead. Karen was moving close to him. She grasped his right arm, almost jerking it from the steering wheel. Karen, please, he began. The impact with which the insects splattered themselves against the windshield seemed almost forceful enough to break the glass. There was now an explosion of the tiny creatures, appearing in the hundreds, thousands, all squashing their brittle exoskeletons against the tinted glass. Shit, Howard Barks erupted. They're acting like some goddamn kamikaze pilots, like they're attacking the car, trying to smash through the windshield with their bodies. Dad, shut up, Karen. Gotta think. Figure out what the hell's going on. The fair lane swerved beneath the relentless bombardment of insects. The windshield dripped with the gore of the creatures. The sounds of the insects shrieking and chirruping was maddeningly loud. The once black finish of the car was now caked with smears of chitinous bodies and internal fluids. Barks thought of Karen, considered the danger. Karen, roll up the windows, all of them, before they can get inside the car. Karen did as she was told, but barely in time. The insects were now attacking the car from the sides. Splash! She jerked from one end of the seat to another. The windshield was a mass of brown and green. Vision was impossible through the thick layers of insect crud. At last, the scum-encrusted vehicle halted alongside the road. Its tires sank several inches into the spongy ground. Barks muttered something inaudible, then let himself fall against the steering wheel. <sighs> There's no sense in going any further, he complained. I can't see a thing to that windshield. I'm not going to move this car until I can. He waited. Then, unpredictably, the insect siege stopped. The swamp was quiet again, save for the lingering sounds of night. From somewhere in the distance came the welcome hooting of an owl. Howard Barks did not comprehend the nature of what had happened, but he prayed the danger had gone. For several minutes the quiet continued. He gripped Karen's hand firmly and felt her sweating. I think it's all over, he told her. Look, I don't know what happened out there, but whatever it is, Thank God, it's over. Karen reacted. Her large brown eyes seemed to grow larger. Tightly, she clasped her father's hand. But if, if those bugs attacked once, she said, there's no guarantee they won't do it again. I realize we've been through an experience, but what happened out there had to be a fluke. Something for Ripley's Believe It or Not. It's like lightning, not striking twice in the same spot. Now, I don't know about you, but I want to get the hell away from here and over to Reed's place where I can relax with a stiff drink and try to forget all this. He started to open the car door when Karen grabbed his arm and said, No, Dad, it's all right, I tell you. All I'm going to do out there is clean off those windows so we can see again. Without another word, Howard Barks leaned to the right and took a clean rag from the glove compartment. Then he stepped outside and began to clean the sludge from the windshield. Sincedelon observed the dark shadowy shape through his compound eyes, which provided him with excellent vision, better than that of his brother's. 
The shape was like some sleek black mountain, but Cincidella knew that this was but one of the many fire-eyed demons who often roared along the edge of the world. He also knew that the time of waiting had ended. Standing beside the dragon was a monster of incredible size and hideous appearance. Its heat allowed Cincidella to see it clearly. The enormous forelimbs blurred as they waved over the great dragon's brow. The antennae of Cincidella's head wavered, and the brethren mimicked the action of their leader. They knew that this was the time for fulfillment, the time to move. Cincidella, the tiger beetle, would marshal his six-legged brothers against the laws of the way and in accordance with the call. The beetles had all turned to face their shadowy adversary. Boldly, Cincidella conducted them, for truly he was the fiercest predator of them all. And while Cincidella assumed his position of authority over his minions, the shadowed monster stood before the flaming eyes of the dragon. Howard Barks felt his shoes sinking into the soggy marl. The odors of the bog were strong, forcing him to breathe through his mouth to avoid them. He paused, looking down at the muck that enveloped his shoes. For a short while, he pondered the various ingredients, the shells, the clays the carbonates of magnesium and calcium that formed what served as earth. He lifted one foot through the marl and peat, held tenaciously to the soles of his brown shoes. He proceeded to wipe the windshield. The cotton rag became more and more caked with the compound remains of the insects with his every sweep. The odor was offensive to him. If only he could be smelling the laurel or cotton grass, which grew in abundance in the bog. Then... Howard Barks heard them, again. God, he thought. The insects couldn't have returned. That was a crazy thought to entertain, and a thought that made his spine feel like ice. It was impossible for the insects to return for a second attack, singling out this one representative of the world of Homo sapiens. Impossible. For that would imply something like premeditated murder and... But no, he did hear them. Insects. Their noise becoming louder. Louder, much as it had just previous to smashing against his car. He turned and his heart nearly ruptured. The sounds were behind him, to his sides. They issued from every possible direction, everywhere. Then he saw them, moving toward him as swiftly as their minuscule legs permitted. They were converging upon him, their dark bodies blending together like some portentous shadow. Bark's eyes grew wide as he realized the true horror of these creatures, beetles whose crusty bodies were now showing colorfully in the moonlight. He had been singled out. He caught a brief glimpse of Karen through the partly clean windshield. He saw the terror on her face. Then he bolted for the driver's door and grasped the metal handle. Metal? He gasped. The handle was a mass of living, biting beetles. They were on his hand in moments, following its contours and assuming its shape. And they began to rip at his flesh, sharp mandibles pinching and causing a flow of bubbling scarlet. Bark screamed in agony. Instinctively, he smashed his hand against the insect-coated fender of the car. But even as his hand became wet with the juices that spilled from the cracking insect bodies, he felt his legs attacked by more of the creatures. He stumbled backwards. His feet trampled a hundred of the creeping horrors, crunching them into oblivion as he fell against the spongy ground. But the loss of a hundred insects did not lessen the attack. 
Relentlessly, they continued to besiege this man who had invaded their world. Tiny legs ascended Bark's legs. Beneath the coarse trousers, crimson flowed from the ever-increasing number of wounds, soaking the tweed fabric of his pants. Barks lashed out at the beetles, his arms flailing. But the booming beetles returned in droves. And every one of those biting monsters seemed intent on one hideous mission, tearing Howard Barks to shreds. Truth exploded in Barks' mind. God, they're, they're eating me. Eating me alive, if I could make it to the car. But flight to the fair lane was insane. Impossible. The car was already thick with the dead monsters, and besides, Karen was there. He wasn't about to have her open that door and become a meal for the beetles as he was now. There was only one possible escape, and he knew it. Yet, there were only seconds left to put his plan into operation. Already, the beetles were crawling up his body, about his stomach and chest, his arms, now his neck, consuming. The river, he thought. He tried to shake the clinging insects from his arms. The river. Already the thousands of pains were fusing into one. If only I could get to the river. His body jerked spasmodically. He staggered to weakened feet. If I can get to the river, maybe I could drown the filthy little bastards. As he struggled to walk, his feet stumbled over the crumbling sphagnum. His heels trampled sundew and pitcher plants. His body cut black spaces in the curling mists. And from behind, through the incessant noises of the insects of the bog, he thought he heard Karen's voice calling him. Through the biting haze that covered his face, he saw her. She was bolting from the car, seemingly unconcerned about her own safety. Her feet sank deep into the soft ground as she ran. Her legs moved swiftly beneath the hem of her short blue dress. Within seconds she was beside him, gaping incredulously at him, pondering what on earth she could do. She said nothing, but searching frantically, she finally found a yard-long branch of wood. Then she began to hack away at the creatures, but her blows only inflicted more pain upon her now blood-soaked father. The river shimmered in the moonlight. It was visible between the black spruce trees. The river seemed to beckon to him, offering a release from pain. With supreme effort, Barks trudged toward the bank. He felt his strength flowing out of him along with the streams of blood. With what remained of his strength, he collapsed, falling face down into the stinking, slimy water. Scum and water flooded into his mouth. He tasted putrescence. He turned onto his back and moonlight flooded his eyes. Still, he struggled, half submerged, and trying to shake the tiny predators. Again he moved, this time into a position that allowed him to see the surface of the river the cold water in his mouth preventing him from screaming, yet he so wanted to scream. More beetles approached, beetles that were different from the others, aquatic beetles. They crawled from the water and up his face, into his mouth, his eyes. They too inflicted their bites. They too began to eat, feeding upon his distended tongue. Barks could taste the blood in his mouth, the blood and the beetles. Agony, more excruciating than before, attacked his right hand, and when Barks lifted it with painstaking effort, he saw the gleaming white hand of a skeleton. But the sight was brief, for moments later, he no longer had eyes to see.
Then, mercifully, Howard Bark slipped into oblivion to further feed the horde of hungry beetles. Cincinella was the last of his kind to feast. Why he hungered he did not know, but hunger he did, and feast he must. Swiftly he climbed the corpse that had lured his aquatic brothers to the banquet. His large eyes found raw meat and blood. Though this was not the way, and though he preferred the sustenance afforded by the bodies of other insects, Cincinella ate. Cincinella feasted to his capacity. Even when he had filled himself, he continued to bite and discard the flesh. When he had grown too weary to continue, he permitted the other beetles, who still hungered, to satiate themselves upon the giant kill. As the last of the desired shreds of flesh passed from the grinning thing that gleamed white in the moonbeams. Cincinella led the brethren away from the river. Then they all stopped. There was still the second creature. This one was almost as gigantic as the first. It stood motionless before Cincinella and his followers as though planning some mode of attack. Cincinella trained his antennae upon the light-colored shape and saw the golden tendrils. For several moments he wondered if he should attack once more. But there was no hunger, no signal from the call, no command to continue the attack. Thus Cincinella left this second creature. And as he led his hordes back to the concealing shadows, the bog returned again to peace. We hope you enjoyed listening to this excerpt from Bugged. If you would like to hear the entire audiobook, it can be purchased at Amazon.com, Audible.com, and iTunes.com.